Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So <clears throat> I'm very croaky today and I've sort of not had much voice for a week now. Um, Robin's really enjoyed it. It was, it was when I was a child, they started taking Christ out at Christmas. And at that time, it was because Christ wasn't so important to as many people. But I think probably the main reason was because the advertisers were looking for something a bit shorter and snappier for their Christmas sales. They could say, come to the Xmas sales when they're putting, them, putting up on the ads. And I remember... I remember the phrase going amongst Christians at the time was put Christ back into Xmas. Um, but things have changed a bit now. Um, Christ is even more of an offence. Uh, they don't even want to have Mass in Christmas now. They don't even want to have Xmas. They want to call it the holidays. Um, and the reason they don't want the Mass in Christmas is because um, that's also got religious connotations because it was a time to celebrate the Christ Mass, uh, Mass being the Roman Catholic um, communion service. And so Christ is gone, the Mass is gone, and now it's called the holiday season. And um, I wonder how long it's going to be before they decide we have to change this as well because they probably don't realise the origin of the word holiday is holy day. And so when you're wishing somebody um, a happy holiday, well, they're actually wishing somebody a happy holy day. Um, now, for those who are listening online and don't know what date this was recorded, no, it's not, not the Christmas service. Um, I just wanted to share with you just how Christ is so offensive to people in the community now that, that they want to get rid of Christ. Uh, many people are happy to embrace good teachings of a man named Jesus, uh, but when we start sharing our faith about Jesus Christ, that's where the offence lies. Um, so we're beginning our new series today on the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He calls them the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And... I think probably the proper way to say this book is Colossians, um, but we Australians just say Colossians. Uh, what do the Brits say? What do the Brits say? Do you call it Colossians or Colossians? Colossians. Colossians. Right. So we've got it from our from our British forefathers. So it's not our fault. That's we're bred into us. Right. So. 
So um, as I read this letter to the Colossians, what really stood out to me all the way through it, and I, whenever I, we start a new series, I read the, the whole book of the Bible numerous times to try and get a feel for the book and get it into my head. And every time I did this with Colossians, is it just really stood out to me, it's all about Christ. Ianity is useless. Christ-ianity is what we're out on about. We're, we're not a bunch of Ians. We're a bunch of Christians. We're not disciples of any old person. We are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about Christ. And this whole letter is unashamedly Christ-centred and Christ-focused. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Uh, we always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And then he reminds them of Epaphras. Um, who, he's the one who first took the gospel to them, and he describes him as a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. This letter is unashamedly about Christ. And for us, we are to be always unashamedly Christians and always unashamed of Christ. And we're going to see this all the way through this letter. Right. Now, Paul, as he usually does, begins his letters by introducing himself. And that's the way all letters should be. I don't know why we ever write the letters the way we, we do. I, I remember when we were taught to write letters, you wouldn't actually put your name until right at the end. Um, now, at least with business letters, you put, put your name at the start. But this is the way Paul always began his letters, by introducing himself. And he really did need to introduce himself to these folk. In many other of his letters, Paul is writing to people that he knows. Often he'd be writing to a church that he planted, a church where he'd taken the gospel and established a church in a town somewhere. Um, often he'd be writing to a church that he'd visited and a church that he had ministered to in the past um, and had connections and deep connections with people. Uh, but that's not the case here. Epaphras is the one who took the gospel to Colossae. And Paul, as far as we know, he's never been there, at least not since there's been a church there. And so he introduces himself and he describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And we know that Paul was commissioned and sent by Jesus himself. And as an apostle, um, Paul was recognised as having the authority to correctly explain the gospel and to lay down what the gospel actually is. But the letter's not only from Paul. Uh, his missionary mate Timothy's with him as well. And it's from Timothy as well. Uh, by the way, we're going to find out a little bit later that Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this letter. And, you know, Christians at the time might have thought, oh, it's terrible that, that um, Paul's in jail. But Christians throughout the century have been blessed by so many of Paul's letters that he wrote while he was stuck in jail. And so that's the way God uses good things to come from 
what was intended for evil. So what's the address? The address is to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, their primary address is in Christ. They just happen to be at Colossae. And do we realise this about ourselves? Um, as Christians, our primary address is in Christ. We just happen to live in St George. Or if you're listening to this, Bonjean or Ipswich or Glen Morgan or Muckadilla or Richmond or Dirranbandi or Beer War. You, you just happen to live there. But your address is in Christ. You see... We are strangers in this world. We are aliens in this world. We don't belong in this world. We're just passing through. Our home is in Christ. But did you notice he described them as saints? They must have been extra good Christians to be called saints. <laughs> See, when it comes to sainthood, there's a fair bit of confusion over what is a saint. Um, some people believe that to be a, be a saint, you have to be extra well behaved. And so if somebody's doing something really antagonising and really annoying you and you don't get angry, they say, oh, he's like a saint, that fella. He didn't, didn't even get angry. Um, others believe that to be a saint, you have to have performed a certain number of miracles and whatnot attributed to your name and then you get canonised by a man in Rome. But in the Bible... Christians are saints. The Greek word hagios literally means holy ones. We are saints because we are holy ones. Now, is it because we are so holy that we became Christians? No. In fact, the complete opposite is true. It's because God revealed to us how utterly sinful we were. And we realised how sinful we were and we realised that we needed to have a saviour. And it's because we became Christians, it's because we confess our sins and we're forgiven of our sins and embrace Jesus our Lord. It's because we are in Christ that we are made holy. And so we're not saints because we're such wonderful people. We are saints because our sin has been taken away. And that's what Paul brings out when he refers to them as faithful brothers in Christ. Um, in this context, faithful is about being full of faith, about being believing. Um, that's the thing that the Greek word here is pistos. And, and, and that word can mean belief, faith, trust, all of those things. And so our Bible's translated in different ways depending on its context. And so any holiness that we have, it's not of our own doing. It's because we are believing in Christ Jesus. Essentially, we're holy because we're Christians. We're not Christians because we're holy. We're holy because we're Christians. And to be a Christian, that the blessings and benefits are enormous. But wow, what a blessing it is to be holy 
And what a blessing it is to be believing together. Now, when he says brothers, uh, ladies, that doesn't exclude you, right? You can count yourself as a brother or you can read this as brothers and sisters if you like. This, this thing isn't about gender. This is a family thing. Um, you could have said siblings, but that sounds so wooden, doesn't it? Um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are holy because we have a common heavenly father and we believe together. All right, so this letter is from Paul, the apostle. The address is to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. And then next comes the blessing. He always begins and ends his letters with blessings. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. What a profound statement that is. Not only is God the Father of Jesus, God's our Father too. Um, I don't know if you've ever actually realised just how profound that prayer was that Jesus taught us to pray. When he said, when you pray, say it like this, our Father. And if God is our Father, grace and peace, they're not things that we hopefully wish for. They're blessings that are given to us. Now, grace and peace, as Christians, we know about these things, don't we? Um, but it's always good to be reminded of them. By grace, we are saved. By grace, our sins are forgiven. The cost of the forgiveness of our sins, that was all taken care of at the cross. And it is by the grace of God that we are at peace with God. And this this peace, this is something which is uniquely Christian. There is no other way to have peace with God than by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Now, most people in the world, they have a longing for peace. But the peace that they long for is a very shallow understanding of peace or a misunderstanding of peace. Their view of peace might be an absence of war, and I don't think there's too many people that crave to have war. Most people crave to have an absence of war. They crave that sort of peace. Or a mother might be looking for a day when the kids just don't cry and argue and bicker with each other. Or a teacher might just be looking for a day when the class just all get on and get on with their work and don't answer back. Or, or a husband and wife might just be looking for a day when there's no nitpicking coming from the other person. And of course, a journalist, they might tell you that, that they, they really love the idea of peace, but they don't really, because there's nothing that makes papers sell more than, than war and, um, and, and upset. So people crave all sorts of peace, but real peace and lasting peace, it, it's much more than any of those things. The sort of peace that Paul's talking about here is to be at peace with God. And this is something which is uniquely Christian. You know, it's become quite the fad in our society to, 
to, you know, if you're stressed out or something, oh, what does your doctor say? Go and do a bit of yoga or something like that. That'll help give you a bit of peace. Let me tell you, that is a poor substitute for peace because peace, true peace, can only come from God. True peace is only found in the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. The sort of peace that, that Jesus could talk to his disciples about the horrors of the tribulation, knowing that in him we have peace because he's overcome the world. It's the sort of peace that transcends everything that's going on, no matter how bad things are, and, and how much mayhem and upset there is in the world and in our own lives and in our own families, we can still have the peace from God because Christ has overcome the world. Righto. Now, even though Paul doesn't really know these guys, he's been praying for them and he prays for them often. He says... We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. What a, what a wonderful thing that is, to know that someone's praying for you. And I bet you guys know people who are praying for you. Um, every now and then, I'll, I'll run into somebody and um, various people, and some I sort of hardly know. But there's been times when somebody who I've hardly known says, you know what, me and my wife, we pray for you every day when we pray, for the Lord, pray to the Lord. Or other people have said, you know, we pray for you often, probably every week when we pray. Somehow they've heard about Bush Disciples, somehow they've heard about our little church out here in the sticks and, and God's just put it on their heart for them to pray for us. And when people tell me that they've been praying for us, I just... It's so humbling. It means so much. It's so encouraging to know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who not only pray for us occasionally, they pray for us often. And what an encouragement it must have been to those Colossians to know that the Apostle Paul would often pray for them and give thanks for them. And he's been praying for them ever since he heard about their faith and their love. Something that often comes up in the New Testament is the classic Christian triad of faith, hope, and love. Uh, the best known one, of course, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, where it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide or remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And, and we've got an example of that classic Christian triad of faith, hope and love right here in today's reading. The faith that they have in Christ Jesus, the love that they have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. So let's unpack that a bit. Without faith, there is no Christian existence. You know, there have been times when I've had conversations with people and, and you know, they're sort of leaning towards Christianity. They like Christianity. They like Christians. They, 
they like what the church does and all this sort of stuff. And I said, well, what's stopping you from becoming a Christian? Well, I just don't believe. Right? I, and some people, they even know that Jesus died for their sins. But they, I just can't believe that he was born of a virgin. I can't believe that he was raised from the dead. Now, that's a pretty big barrier to becoming a Christian, isn't it? And in times like these, I, I've then explored with them. I said, well, tell me the reason you don't believe. And, and very quickly, it becomes apparent that the reason they don't believe is because it's outside of the scope of the realms of scientific possibilities. And I just highlight the problem. You realise the problem is you just don't believe there is a God. Because if there is a God, as God reveals himself to be, God is outside of the realm of science. God can make things happen that cannot be explained. And, and that's why it comes down to faith. That's why without faith, without belief, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we genuinely seek God as God is, and if we don't try and make God into something that we want him to be, he will give us faith. He rewards those who seek him. God is sovereign. God is King of Kings. God is Lord of Lords. He can do whatever he likes. And if you seek him, he will reward your seeking of him. And he'll help you to have faith. But without faith, there is no Christian existence. What about love? Well, love, of course, springs from the faith that we have. Um, we love because we believe and we know that Christ loved us first. And the sort of love that he's talking about is a practical expression of care, concern, and self-sacrifice. The sort of love that he's talking about, it's not just love where I'll do it because it feels nice for me. It's, and I'll, I'll do it just because it's all easy. Love is sometimes really hard. This sort of love is, is a practical expression of care, concern, and self-sacrifice. Faith, no matter how great it is, without love, is empty. The love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ proves the faith that we have. Every, every now and then, I hear somebody say, I'm a Christian, but, but I don't go to church. Because, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I then explore with them, well, why don't you go to church? And it soon becomes obvious that they don't like the people. <laughs> and they are so self-focused. They feel that their faith is all about them. Um, I'm telling you, though, a genuine faith cannot help but love other Christians. And I've heard so many testimonies um, of testimonies I love to hear about how a person, before they were a Christian, their parents used to drag them along to church or, or their husband or their wife used to drag them along to church and, and they hated it. 
Like, they'd get there and, and they'd sit through it to, to please their parents or to please, please their spouse. And maybe, maybe the singing, they, if it was a really good band, they could sort of sit back and just enjoy the music. But it comes time to read the Bible and, uh, and it comes time to pray and, uh, and then that wretched preacher gets up and talks about all these things about God and he's trying to make me feel guilty. And blah, 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 blah. But they just hate it, just hate it. But then when they, something, God changed them and they became a Christian, everything changed. Then they loved to hear the word of God being taught. They would enthusiastically sing praises to the Lord and, and they just genuinely loved being with other Christians. And I'm going to be really blunt and say, if there's anyone who is hearing this today who doesn't love being with other Christians, that's a sure sign that your relationship with God is in a mess. Um, if you don't love being with other Christians, um, that says more about you than what it does about those Christians you don't like. And here's why. Both faith and love spring from the hope that we have. If our hope is in the wrong thing, our faith will be flawed. If our hope is in the wrong thing, our love will be flawed. Our hope is our unseen future expectation. It's our destiny that we know is coming. Our hope, it's not a wishful thinking. It's something which, which Paul says is laid up for us in heaven. Laid up means it's, it's there. It's safe. It's secure. Everything that faith in our Lord Jesus Christ leads us to is assured. It is safe and secure in heaven. No one can take it from you. And so today we are reminded of the forward-looking character of the gospel message that is truth. If our hope was to be in physical blessings today, or our faith and our faith and our love would be flawed. Why? Because if our hope was in physical blessings today, we'd be focused on what we can get out of this life now. Basically, we'd be selfish. But Jesus taught us what real love should look like. Real love is when we give expecting nothing in return. There's nothing in it for us, is there? Yes, there is something in us. The, our reward is laid up for us in heaven. That's why we give without expecting anything in return. And he taught us what real faith should look like. Real faith is in Christ. And the eternal reward for our faith in Christ is in the heavenly realms. It is in the new heavens and the new earth. And so faithful living means that we're not living for today. We're living for eternity. If our faith is in Christ and fixated on eternity, we're not trying to live today for the best that I can get out of today. We give of ourselves, thinking of nothing else other than Christ. This is the gospel 
that was preached in Colossae. And Paul refers to this as the true gospel. Now, whenever he uses a word like the true gospel, what he's really saying is, hey, there's lots of false gospels out there. There's lots of man-made gospels. And there's plenty of those around today. The word of truth, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a gospel that is not fixated on blessings today. It assures us of the future hope with him. And this gospel is the gospel that's bearing fruit and increasing. Oh yes, false gospels might give the, give the illusion that they are growing as well. But they're not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. They may, <coughs> excuse me. They may claim to be bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, but it's not true fruit. So, how does the true gospel bear fruit and increase? Through programs? Through advertising campaigns? You know, like come to Jesus and you'll get your free set of steak knives. Looking at you like you're probably too young to even remember when they used to give free sets of steak knives. <laughs> true faith, true hope, true love expresses itself with testimony. If you and I truly believe this hope that we have in Christ, what could possibly hold us back from sharing this hope that we have with others. The gospel increases and the gospel is fruitful when we understand the grace of God that we've received. In verse five, Paul says, you've heard it, talking about the word of truth. In verse six, he says, you've heard it and understood it, talking about the grace of God in truth. In verse 7, he says, you've learned it, talking about the grace of God in truth again. Do you understand why we keep on preaching this stuff week after week after week? I mean, I, I had a lecturer in Bible college who, who was teaching us preaching. He said, you know what, really preaching is finding 52 different ways of saying the same thing every, every year. Um, not entirely true, um, but his point was that if we're not preaching the gospel every week, then we're not doing it properly. Yes, we'll be teaching something new, some new, new aspect of, of our Christian faith each week. But the central gospel message that we need to be reminded of day after day after day remains the same because we need to hear it, we need to understand it, and we need to learn it and we need to get it right. It has to be the truth that we're learning. So how does this gospel increase and become fruitful? When we hear it, when we understand it, and when we learn it. And it's not just any old gospel, the true gospel. The gospel that explains the grace of God in truth not something we've made up. The gospel that points us away from physical blessings and points us to Christ and his eternal blessings. 
So I've got a bit of a feeling that in this series on Colossians, Paul's going to keep reminding us of these things. And he's going to remind us of the true gospel of grace, that, that Jesus died for us on the cross so that our salvation is not earned, but, but our salvation is by faith in the one who saves us. And he's going to keep reminding us of the hope that we have, that we're not living for today and that our hope is in something which is far, far better than the very best that the world could have to offer us. I reckon he's going to keep reminding us of how our love and the way that we live has this future focus that we would willingly love and give of ourselves sacrificially to others. Everything in this life's going to pass. We're looking forward to eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is by your grace that we are saved. By your grace, our hope isn't in this present physical world. Our hope isn't in money. Our hope isn't in, in even in health or, or any earthly blessings. Our hope is in the future eternal blessings that you've promised. Lord, help us to live with this hope. It's a hope that, that helps us to rejoice even in times of suffering. It's a hope that helps us to love even when we're feeling that we've been used by others because we know that we're loved by you with an eternal love that we look forward to. And Lord, we pray that over the next few months as we study this letter, that we would come to a greater knowledge and understanding of your immense grace, that we would hear it, that we would understand it, that we would learn it. And Lord, may we become fruitful in our faith as we share this gospel with others who, who so badly need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.